morning as we finally conclude after about a year uh, this is 28th message on this series uh, or studies in 2nd Corinthians <clears throat> only four or five verses 2nd Corinthians 13 11 through 14 the final charge and benediction and even in this short closing remarks and final greetings, um, we may look over some things like this, just all cliches. But if you get to know Paul, Apostle Paul, he's such an intentional person, he doesn't use any cliches. And this is very intentional words as well. Today is basically two part in that he has a final charge, pastoral apostolic charge. And the benediction, this became a famous benediction. Uh, we hope to conclude our today's service with this benediction as well in practice. And what we want to do is, we, before we close the entire series, I want to do a really quick review the three key lessons emerge out of all these studies. I can't wait to share that. Let's put, begin with the final charge. Verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agreed with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. These are actually six commands for living as a Christian family. Authentic spiritual community. Another way of putting it is six imperatives, injunctions for grace living. What does it look like if grace is really the, the beginning and end of our Christian life? And that our Christian life is not a solo journey, but a communal journey together. And in, in, in summary, he has made so many exhortations and sharp challenges throughout this letter but it is a, like punctuating many of our single word, the command. The first one is simply rejoice. If you have a, a 1984 NIV, it will say, finally, farewell or goodbye. Some other versions. Because the Greek word has that nuance. But the root word is Something about bubbling joy. He is not cordial and saying goodbye, farewell, but it's actually implying joy. One word. First Thessalonians five sixteen, Paul mentions that. And this is the will of God in your daily living. He mentions three things. Rejoice always, give thanks in everything. 
and pray without ceasing. The rejoice comes first. And as you know, Philippians was the letter in of Philippians was written in prison. In prison, he constantly mentioned, repeatedly mentioned, rejoice in the Lord. Then and I say again, I say again, rejoice. Why is that? Because joy is the sign of our faith in sovereign God. Not because things that are happening is so good and we're thankful for making us joyful and happy. And that will be the worldly joy that comes and goes quickly. <clears throat> but even in the very difficult things, we could be joyful because God is in charge. And our brother uh, Steve, in, you know, in, in Taylor's email, we heard about the very shocking news. I, I know him. I interacted with him several times throughout the year. Um, so it, it affects me. And some of you know Charles, Charles um, Kim, who used to be part of Crossway when we used to meet in living room, my living room. He's in Lansing, Michigan right now. His, his mom had a stroke and his, her brainstem has been damaged. It's not, she's not responding. Maybe she could be brain dead. And he is desperate. He's been texting me and Kate and calling me. He was up for 24 hours straight, maybe 40 hours straight. Can we really say rejoice in this? And our facility search went to back to zero. We don't have any clues whatsoever. Not including even, we don't have an option B, plan B. If this doesn't work out, we will go this. Rejoice. It all comes down to, will I put my trust in circumstances? Or will I put my trust in sovereign God? And that is the first sign of a Christian community. Number two command is aim for restoration. So I think God has chosen Greek language to be New Testament language because of these reasons. The aim for restoration is ESB translation. Some other translation will it be complete, be um, perfect. It has the connotation of full maturity. So if we don't look at the, uh, the context of Second Corinthians, we could look at it as, oh, be mature, spiritually mature. Seek for maturity. 
But we know that in 2 Corinthians, Apostle Paul is keep going at the same issue, restoration, the Corinthian Christians' restoration with God in their lifestyle, to live a holy life, to repent from their worldly lifestyle, to reconcile with one another, to restore with himself as a, a true apostle, as opposed to following these false super apostles. This restoration has that connotation in mind. Be a full, healthy, mature community. And I think we should think about this as well. Are we restored fully in my daily life? There's something that you hold back from God and God has been convicting you and you say, yeah, I'm going to get to that sometime, but not now. There are some people that you feel have a friction about and the restoration has cordial enough to feel that you don't feel uncomfortable with that person. But to, to be perfectly honest, it's a little bit uncomfortable when you think about face-to-face -face relational context. Aim for full restoration. Don't go halfway. There's something that you ask God and you have a question about. That genuine pursuit, and I think that's admirable. You should never shy away from asking tough questions, spiritual questions. But rather than really pursuing what, what can I do, find out to get through this breakthrough, get through these hurdles of my Christian life, is there, any, is there any understanding that I need to? What book of the scripture do I need to meditate on more? What, what, are the, some, what are some people that I could talk to? So there's always a healthy doubt when you are pursuing after it. Unhealthy doubt, you just leave it there. Don't do anything. And it grows <coughs> bigger than what it is and then swallow you up. Number three command is comfort one another. This is, the, once again, double meaning also too. In one sense, you could think of it as encouraging another, comfort, console each other, provide comfort for each other. Another way of looking at it is, in the context of Paul said a lot of harsh, difficult things, injunctions, And I think the true contextual meaning is, is a, it is a command to encourage one another so that we would not lose heart in obeying the difficult things in full restoration. You decide to forgive someone, and it's utterly difficult. You decide to resolve a conflict. It is just not to us your satisfaction. It's some things there. 
and encouraging each other is that do not lose hope. Even in our men's group, we, you know, oftentimes our, our confession is it's, it's difficult to, to make progress the way we want to, but we, know, we need to encourage one another in that sense. Past few weeks, I feel like a loser as a pastor because I can't find a facility. What's going on? I don't want to spiritualize things. It all comes down to it's top leadership, but I'm responsible. And then some of our youth were using my office space for the, the instrument worship training. Christina was leading it. And they made a little note everywhere they hid it. Somewhere. It's like, thank you for being loving, loving, caring pastor. You have a nice library here. <laughs> you make good coffee. And this morning, Christina, I found your note. Dear Paul, I'm praying for you and for Crossway. I'm so thankful for you, our, our pastor, and thankful for your steadfast labor to point us always to Christ and your faithful teaching of God's word. Love, Christine. Oh, this means so much to me. So that I may, lose not, I may not lose heart. We ought to do that with one another. Number four command is agree with one another. This is not think the same thing all the time and do not ever disagree. Uh, the concept of unity and diversity and diversity, unity, it's not uniformity, right? In, in, in the spirit of this Philippians 2, 2 to 4, remember that? If you really think about me, if you really want to make me happy, be of same mind. Don't ever have a selfish ambition. Think for others' interests as well as yours. Care for each other. Reach out to each other. That's the mindset. So let's be supportive and cooperative in spirit and attitude. And even the state treat. It's very uncomfortable, and you might have to reschedule yourself. But in your mind, if you think about the unity of the church first, edification of the church first, that agreeing with one another will happen. That will be a relational unity rather than political, selfish, selfish unity. Command number five, live in peace. This is a command to proactively pursue relational unity and, and harmony. Twelfth chapter of Romans. 
And Paul writes, live peacefully as long as it depends on you. So that means there are cases it doesn't depend on you. Someone who hates your gut and do not, will not forgive or reconcile, they choose to separate themselves from you even though you want to forgive, you want to be forgiven, you have forgiven it, you did your part, that there is an inevitable situation like that. But in most cases, we could live in peace in the family of God. I want to just put a picture in our in our heart rather than in our head. Um, usually, I, lead, I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. So, you know, you know when you get into conflict, uh, some people, like my wife Kate, she could be so fine with everybody else except me, because we're in conflict. Not me. I'm miserable with everyone. But you know, when I feel like everything seems to be peaceful, I feel like, oh, I think okay. But lately, with one of close brothers and I had a conflict resolution, I, I still remember we had to do about a couple of meetings, and at the end of the meeting, I just felt so free the lift the, the the awkward feelings are lifted and i love the brother that doesn't mean when i go into when I, we we will never get into conflict i'm sure we will we're so different in many many ways live in peace well, that's what our heavenly father desires when he sees his children, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he concludes with um, that particular um, command has an encouragement. If you live in peace, the God of love and peace will be with you. You know, we, we always hear about the conditional, unconditional love of God. Yes, God doesn't love us because we fix ourselves first and clean ourselves. But even in terms of when you think about the word fellowship and relationship, the two different levels of that, the relationship with God will be never broken. There's nothing you can do that sever the relationship with God as God the Father and your Savior, your salvation is not lost. The fellowship, though, if you insist your own way, the fellowship is broken. As much as your earthly father will be continually your earthly father, but you're in conflict with him, and you just become stubborn, and you, you invited him, and he's sitting in the living room, it's awkward for you to be sitting in the living room with him alone because the fellowship is broken. 
Or should we also see those five commands working all together that the presence of God, of love and peace, felt in our community? If we rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, and love, agree with one another, and live in peace, peace, and God of love and peace will be felt even those people who are coming into our community. And then he concludes with this command, greet one another with a holy kiss. This is a command to express affection and love for one another as God's perpetually committed family in Christ. Even with a stranger who is a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, we are to greet one another with a holy kiss. There's a universal principle and cultural principle here. Universal principle stays in everywhere. Culturally, uh, you've seen uh, European culture still has a Middle Eastern. Some of them will kiss on each cheek or three times, depending on the culture. And their culture was similar to that. One, two, three, or one, two. But they, even nowadays, like they don't actually kiss on the cheek. They just make the sound like that. Even, even the you know, people with the beard, they do that, show that. How, how is this a holy kiss universally? What might be equivalent of our thing? We're perpetually committed. It's not because I feel this close intimacy. I like this person a lot. That will be very selective, self-centered expression of cliques. But as a brothers and sisters, we are committed. We are one whole household family of God. And I still remember uh, back in my high school days, these teenage kids, right? They, they are not spiritually mature, but we had this Bible club and Christian club at school, and they hugged me. And that made a like, light of difference in my view of the world. So if you see me go after you, go after your kids, and I want a hug, I, I, not just because it's, you know, I'm an affectionate guy and I need a hug, but I, I, I really do think this is a, my hugging ministry. The, I just need to be careful. Some of you feel a little uncomfortable. Just give me a little sign. Like put your hands up like this. <laughs> but I'm going to hug you. And Einstein, Pastor Einstein has a very good idea. He wanted an extension greeting time because of this, these kind of principles. And I agree. And at the end of tonight's, today's service, we're going to practice. You're going to do some hugging <laughs> in light of the holy kiss, holy hugging with each other.
One of the commentaries that I've been helped by as I teach through Second Corinthians is uh, D.A. Carson has written a special commentary for chapter 10 to chapter 13. The closing thing. Because why? Because when you think about a chapter 1 through 9, Paul's tone of voice is just so much of relief and affection because after that severe letter he wrote, after the painful visit he had, tearful visit, and they were not repentant, so he wrote a severe letter. And Titus took it, and he's just longing to find out how they received it, with even some regret, because some words are harsh. And that severe letter was lost. And then he finds out from Titus that Corinthian Christians received the letter with repentance and full restoration of their heart. And then as, I was re- as he was re- writing that letter, some scholars might degree- disagree, but some scholars, I would agree with that view, that instead of se- separate letter, in the, ri- in the middle of writing the letter, probably some, you know, not just one, two days, but weeks, he heard the news that false apostles are swaying them again. So he's writing, tone change is harsh again. He never used the word brothers during those chapter 10 to 13. But at the end, he calls everyone, finally brothers, rejoice. Including ones that are not repentant. He calls brothers and gentle. And he puts a full picture of Greet one another with holy kiss, and all the saints greet you. And D.A. Carson on the, writes on that. At the same time, the Corinthians need to be reminded they are not the only Christians in the world. The sentence, all the saints send their greetings. In verse 13, presumably all the believers in the area from which Paul writes, the Christians in one of the Macedonian churches, such as Philippi, Thessalonica, and Borea, is therefore more than a courtesy. It is a healthy reminder to all believers from the Corinthians on, on to see themselves as part, but only part, of the entire body of Christ, such a sense of unity should provide, prove both exhilarating and sobering. It should afford us a vision of a scope of God's redemptive operation, yet permit us to see that our local group of believers is not the center of the entire church. The Corinthians' way was to trivialize the gospel and the church while magnifying Believers themselves. God's way is to to display the grandeur of the church while humbling believers. I think that's what's happening at our church right now. God has a purpose for his church, grandeur of his church, 
in the hand of sovereign God, at the, at the head, Christ is the head of the church. And we will see redemption, glorification. And uh, the, the God, the Father, will receive as the supper of the Lamb and the union of the blameless bride, the church, coming to meet with Christ, the groom, for eternal dwelling, the consummation of our salvation. The Bible never talks about, mentions the word Trinity. But this is one of those passages you cannot deny. There is a triune God in theology of Apostle Paul and many New Testament writers as well as Old Testament indirect of implying that. And this the benediction is a famous benediction that he ends with. This benediction is three blessings for living as a Christian community as opposed to six commands for living as a community in the, in the final charge. Simply verse 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There are three parts of it. The first one is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second one is the, lo the love of God. And the third one is the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The blessing is, these three-part blessing is with you all. Is with you all. The Greek can be translated in both ways. Be with you all. I wish that to be on you. And also he's saying, actually, this is with you. Here's a question. In the order of triune God, we always mention God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But if you look at this benediction, the God the Son shows up first. The question is why? Maybe there's a twofold answer to that. Uh, number one is because he's been expounding, especially chapter 10 through 13, the example of Christ as he was weak, taken his weakness until the God the Father exalted him with, made him Lord of Lord through the cross and the resurrection of Christ rather than insisting like the triumphalists and the false apostles, super apostles in our days is a charismatic um, prosperity gospels glowing with their strength and power. Maybe that example Christ's submission, Christ humbling himself, Christ giving himself, Christ's sacrificial love for us. 
all that is prior to our merit or our deserving status at all. Grace, undeserved free gift from our Lord Jesus Christ, which precedes our relationship with God the Father. This is simply sound biblical theology. When you think about, I decide to become a Christian. I decide to choose the Christianity as my religion. I chose Christ. I wasted my life. But when you walk into the cross, when you come into the family of God, and looking back, it's not you who chose Christ, God has chosen you before the universe. God's election is on you. Predestination is on you. Because of sovereign grace of God. That's actually the second uh, reason for mentioning the Son of God. God the Son first. Not only Christ's example of uh, humbling himself, uh, Strength and weakness example, but also the, in the order of how we come to the great salvation. Love of God is revealed in, at the cross of Christ. Not only John 3.16, but Romans 5.8. But while we're yet sinners, God demonstrated his love toward us. Christ died on the cross for us. And his resurrection in order to give us eternal life in his son. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is what we are experiencing He's the bond between us and between us and the triune God. He indwells in us as the spirit of Christ. And he's not a thing or power or feel, feeling, electricity, but he is a person. This fellowship is sharing in common. Mind-boggling concept is that the fellowship with Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that unity, perfect oneness, is extended to us. John 15, Jesus is saying, Abide in me, my love, as I abide in my Father's love. I don't know about you. Second Corinthians was incredible for me. Because, simply because Apostle Paul as clearly as human beings just says you and I lived an example of life. You often say this, right? When you really want to know what's a counterfeit, you don't study the counterfeit in terms of dollar, hundred dollar bill. You don't have so many 
counterfeit $100 bills to study, the experts say you study the genuine $100 bills so closely, and then you will see counterfeit, counterfeit as soon as you see it. You'll be able to recognize it. The key three lessons that I want to present to you in our studies is about this genuine authenticity on true three area on true spirituality, on true spiritual community, and on true spiritual leadership. The first one is on true spiritual spirituality. Strength and weakness is true spirituality as opposed to strengthen triumphalism, strengthen your own power, in other words. <clears throat> like the false super apostles. This is a central theme of Second Corinthians. Uh, Paul's biographical testimony about his suffering, weakness, and persecution, and God's grace, which is a strength and power in his life and ministry, was so evident. This is an open secret to all of us, but in the, even today's world, tend to gear toward to triumphalistic thinking. This is the essence of the spirituality, true spirituality, as God's paradoxical way of revealing His grace. So in light of this, Brothers and sisters, we're in, in a good state. Our feeling weak, your pastor being clueless about where we are going, is actually a good thing. Because we may really rely on God's power and God's glory. God's power can be perfected, revealed in fully in our weakness in your own personal life as well. Second lesson is on spiritual, true spiritual community. Even today's passage, I mentioned that the, the sign of true spiritual community is full restoration and unity as opposed to superficial restoration and superficial unity. Throughout Second Corinthians, Paul stressed the importance of reconciliation and relational unity among believers. And Paul pointed this out, not only with the church, but also with himself. He made himself so vulnerable in so doing. In Paul's perspective, a true unity doesn't just happen. It requires constant vigilance, intentional work, and open hearts to one another. May we learn this. And third and last, on true spiritual leadership. And Paul lived out and gave us an example of true spiritual leadership is actually servant leadership as opposed to self-focused leadership. I wanted to say charismatic leadership. But the word charismatic sounds like a more Pentecostal, Pentecostal lead, leader, not denominational leader. No, I don't mean that. I'm talking about a person who has a charisma, 
personality leadership. That's not true spiritual leadership. And interestingly, even secular leadership book, uh, Good to Great, Jim Collins mentioned five levels of le leadership. And then actually fourth level is competent personality, skilled, highly skilled CEO level of leader. That person is a vision caster. That person makes things happen. That person, the weakness is everything happens because of him. When he moves on, the organizations can fall apart because everything hinges upon. The level five leader, leaders, that person is not at the center. His vision and his philosophy and his embodiment of that. So as he was writing, he could not deny. As a non-Christian, Jim Collins said, this looks like Jesus. After 2,000 years ago, 2,000 later, his community, church, organization rises up because of his leadership, because of his servant leadership. Apostle Paul, in the same way, he, with his meekness, he served sacrificially, selflessly. And this really distinguished himself from the false super apostles who looked only good on the outside. Such authentic spiritual leadership is so rare. But and yet, we are to reclaim this leadership model. Starting with our, us, starting with me. So I pray, as we, in closing, that these key principles will stay in us and we would live it out as a true authentic Christ follower and true authentic community and true authentic leaders. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this awfully personal, vulnerable letter of Apostle Paul. And I thank you that you guide us through these studies. We do pray that you will continually encourage us to be authentic in all ways, in our faith and life and ministry. And as for those six commands, Six injunctions for grace, living. We thank you, Lord. May we embrace that so that the God of peace and love will be with us all. By the people who are walking into our community, we'll sense that God who resides in us, that love and peace will be evident. Yes, Lord, we are small. We don't have much money as church. Uh, 
we're limiting our resources. We don't have young singles who have so such an enthusiastic uh, outlook and, and serve here and there everywhere. But we have you. Lead us and guide us. And we rejoice in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.